This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Steve Vickers in Christian Life Church in Montgomery, Alabama. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com. We start out, we have this kind of a, maybe some kind of vision or concept of where we're going to be in life and what life is going to be like or where we want to go. But lots of times as we go through life, we kind of get pushed around by some circumstances, situations. And before we know it, we look and we say, I'm not where I thought I would be. This is really different. And the issue is, if we don't make some choices, if we don't do some things, if we don't come, become very intentional about our life, then where you are is the best it will ever be. And you may look at it now and say, how in the world did I get here? But if you don't do something to correct the course of your life, then the day will come, you'll look back at this moment and say, wow, I wish it was that good again. But you see, you can make some choices. You can do some things because you literally are, and please don't misunderstand me. I'm not taking God out of the picture, but you're the master of where you're going to go. I know that God orders our steps, but we make the choices. We have to decide. We have to choose. If, God, if it was God's will for everyone, we wouldn't even be having a service today. We'd all be in heaven. The whole world would be saved. It'd be over. And we'd all be in heaven. Everybody would be a Christian. It'd be a wonderful world. And we all know that's not true. Somehow Christians sometimes want to put on those goggles and pretend that they're not responsible for making their own choices, for making their own decisions, for making some changes that will get them in the right direction. You can live life in the right direction. Now, what does that matter? Well, it means this. If I'm going the right direction, I get to the right place. Are you with me? So if I'm going the right direction, I get in the right place. And how many of you want to be in a better place? I'm not talking about heaven only. Of course, we want that. But I mean a better place in this life. How many would like a better place than where you are now? Well, I'm not just, you know, whether it's financially, socially, uh, whatever it may be, uh, emotionally. We want to be in a better place. And we should always want and desire a better place. We need to be uh, like, uh, you know, uh, Joshua and Caleb, you know, when they said, give me, they were willing to take the mountain. They were willing to go forward and do what needed to be done. Now, God wants good things in our life. God has a plan for us, but we've got to make some choices. And so we've been talking about, we're in a little series here called Living in the Right Direction. And we started off by saying that uh, the key, we were going to give you uh, some principles for living life in the right direction. And the first principle we said is the right purpose. We must have the right purpose. That is your why. Your why. Now listen, if you don't get your why right, then everything else is going to be wrong. Why you do what you do. Why you're going the direction you're going. Why you are. Why. Why. It is said, and we said this in the, in the teaching, that if you know the why, the what becomes clear. The reason many of us fumble around with what to do is because we haven't taken the time to find out why. Why am I doing this? Why am I acting this way? Why am I doing... If we discover the why, it'll take care of the what. All right? We, so we said the right purpose, that's your why. Then we said you've got to have the right passion. The right passion, that's your Wow. Your wow. Everybody needs some wow in their life. If you don't have something motivating you, if you don't have fuel in your engine, you can have great skills, great knowledge, great abilities, but you'll go nowhere. You see, they, uh, I've heard it said that uh, people, uh, when they're uh, choosing employees, that they sometimes will uh, choose someone that has less of a skill set because they have a higher self-motivation. And they like self-starters rather than people they're always having to say, come on, and go check on them and always following up on them. See, we got to have a wow, something that drives us, something that puts an energy in us, a reason to get up in the morning, something that says, 
praise God. That's a great day, even when you may not feel like it. So we got to have the right purpose, the right passion. Then last, or week before last, we talked about the right people. The right people. Your who. Your who. You know, we said this, that I can, you can judge where a person is going and find out much about them just by knowing the people they associate with. The Bible says, bad company corrupts good manners. In other words, we're going to become like the crowd. You say, oh no, I'm going to change the crowd. My friend, you're not going to do that. If you run with the crowd, you're going to become like the crowd. That is a fact of life. You have to, everything tends to the lowest level. Water will always, you know, you know those things, they seek the lowest level. And that's the way life is unless we're intentional about it. Unless we decide, no, that is not what I'm going to do. So we talked last week about, or a week before last, about surrounding yourself, being intentional in choosing the people that you surround yourself with so that you surround yourself with people that help you stretch beyond who you are. People that make you want to be a better person. People that make you want to uh, reach higher, go further. And then you say, yeah, but I really want to help hurting people. Well, you need somebody that's stretching you further to be a better person if you're going to reach down to help those that are hurting. All right? Now, <clears throat> I do want to say this. Last week, we were in a conference. Uh, my son and John Summerlin and I, we uh, were in a conference there in Tulsa with uh, Pastor Willie George. His seeds conference with 2,500 other ministers. And uh, no church people, just ministers. It was wonderful, and I appreciate uh, Brother Danny Johnston ministering here uh, last week. As a matter of fact, my sister-in-law was healed. Uh, she had, uh, some, was having severe pain, joint pain, and had been suffering with it. And Brother Danny walked over to her and said, uh, you're, that joint pain is leaving. Now, some of you may say, I'm not sure that's real. Well, you need to talk to her. Because she said... I have had no pain. She called Denise and said, I'm healed. So, uh, you know, I appreciate Brother Danny being here. All right. So this week, we've got this week and next week, and we're finished with this series. The right purpose, your why. The right passion, your well. The right people, your who. And today, the right principles, your how. Your how. How I live my life. How I live my life. You know, uh, throughout the years, I've been in this thing, I've been in ministry over 42 years now, so I've been around the mountain a couple of times. And I've heard Christians say, well, I just live what the Bible says. I just live by the Bible. But then I, when I watched their lives and observed them, I found a lot of things that I couldn't find in the Bible. I found some attitudes very contrary to the Bible. I found some actions and deeds very contrary to the Lord. And so I realized that Christians kind of get in this, they want to make things with broad strokes and their thing of the Bible or God said or whatever becomes their out and releases them from actually being real. Because what we're talking about and what Jesus wants is not how we amen in the church, but how we are in life, how we are outside the four walls of the church and how I live my life in front of a world that needs to see an expression of who Jesus is. Not a religious people, but a real people that are living by the principles of God's word. So let's look at some of these. Now, the word principle, or first I need to read a scripture Ephesians 5, 15 says, go ahead guys, you can put that up there. Uh, Ephesians 5, 15 says this. So be careful, you can read it up there on the screen. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. That's our theme scripture for what we're talking about. Now when we talk about principles, we are talking about something, things that are self-evident, what does that mean, self-evident? It means they don't need somebody to testify to them to prove that they're real. All right? They're self-evident. 
It's known just by their self, okay? And they're self-validating. In other words, they don't need somebody to stand up and say, well, I, I want to testify and prove that these are true. They are self-evident, self-validating, natural laws. It's interesting to me that uh, they are called that because God put these things in nature, just like gravity. Where did that come from? That came from God's plan. All of these laws, and there are principles or laws that God has established. So these truths do not need to be reasoned out, proven by some external research. Neither are they the opinions of people. They stand completely on their own. For an example, you reap what you sow. That is a law. All of nature understands that. Everything. Lost people understand that. Saved people, Christians, non-Christians, they understand that principle. Every farmer knows that it's true. If he didn't, if it wasn't true, he couldn't farm. He can't take a chance that, well, sometimes seed produces, sometimes it won't. And you never can tell what it's going to produce. You may sow corn seed, but you may get apples instead. You know, a, a farmer's got to know that there is a law that what you sow is what you reap exactly. All of nature understands this. That is a self-evident, self-validating principle. It's amazing. You have to teach that in church so much. Uh, when out in the world, people say, duh, you know. But uh, <clears throat> here's some correct principles are like compasses. They always point the way. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you're off course and you think, how do I get back on course? You just get the correct principle. And when you align yourself with the correct principle, you're going to wind up on the right course because the true principles always point towards truth, the right way. History has proven that to the degree, now listen to this, that people live according to correct principles, to that same degree they have prospered. It went on, the article went on to say that even nations, when nations are governed according to correct principles, the, they are blessed and prosper more than others. The right principles point our lives towards true north. What is that? What is good and what is right? You know, in business, they will talk about, uh, there's books written about true north. I've read one, uh, true north. And what it talks about is, is directing your business towards what is right and true and that everything else will, be, will fall into place. So let's look at several of these principles today. And I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 2, or you can look on the screen. And we're going to read some scripture there. And, and then we're going to uh, take off from this, or build on it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the scripture says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in the human form. All right. <clears throat> uh, that's enough, guys. Well, uh, so Jesus took on this attitude of a servant. He humbled himself and, and, and yielded himself to the will of God. So let's look at some of the principles here. Number one is humility. Humility. It's something when we talk about humility. What I have found is that everybody thinks it's a beautiful thing, but not everybody's willing to embrace it. People seem to like it in other people. But that should be something we are willing to embrace. I think one of the reasons we have trouble with it is we're too insecure in our own esteem in who we are that we think, first, I've got to establish who I am. Then I'm willing to be humble. Let me get to the high position. Let me get to the high ground. Then I'll humble myself. 
But you see, the trouble is, the way to get to the high ground is to humble yourself when you feel like you're in the low ground. See, humility is a choice. It is an act of your will. I've heard people pray, oh, God, humble me. Well, God doesn't humble people. Now, life tries to. No, it does. Life, and I believe it's the way God created life, is to where that life tries to humble us. It will bring us to situations where everything we're doing falls apart. No matter how hard we try, it falls apart. And we're rebuking the devil all the time. And we're commanding, devil, get out of my way. Well, the only thing is life is saying, hey, stupid, humble yourself. Quit acting this way. Humble yourself. You know, it's amazing how even when you have failed, even when your circumstances were created by your wrong choices, your wrong decisions, things that you have done, even that, if you, I have found personally through personal experience, when the Holy Ghost and, you know, God would be trying to talk to me, don't go this direction, but I was stubborn and determined to go that direction because I just knew I, this is what God wanted, even though God was trying to tell me. I was saying, get away from me, Satan. But even when I've gotten into a place where I messed up and it all went wrong and everything was wrong and everything was falling apart, it was costing me, I have found that if I'll just humble myself in the midst of my own wrong decisions, my own prideful choices, my own wrong direction, if I'll just humble myself and say, God, all right, you and I have seen very clearly what Steve Vickers can do and how I am capable completely of of resisting your will and going my way. And this is the result. I humble myself before you. And I'm telling you, I've seen it again and again, that God just comes in. and He, you know, I just have a sense. I'm not saying I hear a voice or something, but all of a sudden I have a sense. Everything's going to be all right. And I have watched God, not instantly, not in a moment. I didn't open my eyes and shazam, I'm in, you know, uh, fantasy land. But I get up and I have a sense of it's all right. And I've watched God go before me, knowing that I had failed, knowing, me knowing I had no right. I couldn't require it. I could only humble myself before the living God. But he began to work things out. I'm telling you what God so desires to make everything in your life right. He desires, he can take all the wrong choices, all the broken pieces. He can mold them back together and somehow create something that, was more, that is more beautiful than what you had been working towards before. Here's what I found. God can tell you what his will is. You can blow it and he can take your mistake put you in a different will that looks different but be better than the original one. And I've often wondered, did God want me to fail so I could get to this one? But I'm not going to try to go there and think that because that's for smarter people like Pastor Norris. No, we have to humble ourselves. Now listen, be willing, be, don't be so bullheaded. When life is all of a sudden, every door is closed. When everything is wrong, when nothing is working right, humble yourself, quit kicking at everything. Quit fussing and fighting and quit blaming God. And quit saying, why doesn't God answer my prayers? Sometimes those are his pr- answered prayers. Number two. Well, let me just say this, you know. Pride goes before a fall. But humility precedes exaltation or promotion. See, God promotes the humble and the faithful. All right, let's look at a second one. Faith. The second principle is faith. But we could also put slash faithful. Because... That's really what faithful is, is you're full of faith. See, full of faith doesn't mean that I can do great things. It actually means that because you have faith, you use it for God's purpose. You use it to help humanity. You use it for good. 
It's not to exalt you. It's to help others. Now, here's what I found. You will either live a life controlled by faith, a faith that just believes it's going to work out. Things are going to be okay. Like the woman, you remember some of you, and uh, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but there was a woman that every day in the Bible, a a prophet would walk by her her and her husband's house on on the road to go preach at different places. And she told her husband, I perceive that's a man of God, you know? And so, uh, long story short, they built a room onto the house. So they told the prophet, you come and stay here on your journey. You know, we'll be your eight days in. And you just stay right here. And so he came and he, on his way, he would stop and stay there. And so because of what they'd done, he, he asked the Lord, what does she need? And so, uh, the, you know, uh, the Lord gave him word. They didn't have a child. And he said, uh, next year when I come, you're going to have a son, you know. And so she, she couldn't believe it. But the next year when he came by, she had a child, you know. And years passed and the son got a little older. Well, the son died. He was working in the field with his father. and He had a sunstroke, heat stroke, and died. And so uh, the woman told the, the husband, lay him on, his, on the prophet's bed, on that minister's bed, and I'm going to go get him. And so she went to the, the minister who was out a good ways away. And when she got to him, he said, how is it with you? And listen to what she said. Instead of screaming about the situation, I'm talking about a life of faith. In spite of what your faith... See, it's easy to have faith in everything's great. But I'm talking about when the world is falling apart and you say, where is God? Where is God when? Where is God when? See, in spite of that, she, listen to what she said. The man said, the preacher said, how is it with you? All is well. How is it with your husband? All is well. How is it with the boy? He said, the lad. How is it with the lad? And listen to her words. All is well. But God spoke to the preacher's heart and he said to his servant, he said, you go ahead and get ready. He said, because I'm going to be there to, to, take, to minister to the lad. And he goes to the, the, uh, the room where they had built on for him and there is a dead boy. He's, been, he's lying there dead. And the, the preacher came up and he laid himself upon him. And, he, and as he laid there praying over him, All of a sudden, the boy coughed and came back to life. Now, that sounds like a kind of a, you know, just a story, but it's a reality. But the whole point is is not the miracle. Thank God for the miracle. But the point is the attitude of the lady. She lived by a principle. And you you say, well, she's just stronger. No, I'm going to tell you what, my friend. Can you imagine saying that? When you're only child, that's not easy. But in spite of that, she made a choice. See, living by faith is not a feeling. If you could sit and talk with her and you said, well, how, did you, how come you felt to do that? She'd say, felt to do that. Or you could say, how did you have the feeling? She'd say, feeling, feeling? You want to know feeling? My heart was ripped out of my chest. My life was ripped in two. I felt numb, but I knew what I had to do. See, that's faith. When in the face of everything wrong, we're still able to say, God is still who he is. Listen, get rid of your doubts and fears and deny them your thought processes. Quit dwelling on those things. You can change your thoughts. You can change your thoughts. Doubts come to all of us. Fears come to all of us. Fear is a good thing at times. All right? It helps you to, you know, I was talking to Stephen uh, when he, were, he and I were on the trip and I was talking about channeling your, uh, your, some of the negative energies or emotions that you have, I said, don't fight against them, channel them. Take them and use them to energize you in the right way. You know, uh, I heard Chuck Yeager say this, who was a phenomenal pilot, one of the greatest pilots in American history. He said this, I never got into an airplane that I wasn't terrified. 
He said, because I understood every time I sat down in that left seat there to pilot that plane, he said, there's so many things that could happen that could go wrong that could take my life. But he said, that fear kept me sharp. See, you can have fears, just don't let the fears have you. You can have doubts, just don't let them have you. There's, you're not sinning. You're not a weak, you don't have weak faith just because doubts are there. But if you choose to dwell on the doubts and dwell on the fears and let them consume your life and you meditate on them and you feed them and you nurture them by thinking on them and letting, okay, if I had this, you know, and they want to paint a picture of what if. They want to make it not, and what doubt and fear tries to do is not that what if, but it wants to let you see this is exactly what's going to happen. Learn to direct your thought processes. I have to do this. When all of a sudden, things will start, you know, thoughts, you know. When we took the church back over, you know, this April 1st will be one year that we've been back. And with everything, you know, how all of a sudden the church had just, you know, like been through a train wreck. And I had to, all kinds of thoughts ran through my mind. And I had to, I had to take them bundle them up and present them to God and say, give me clarity. And I began to read the word and just meditate on what the word said and choosing to think right, to let the word and faith in God, faith in the goodness of God. Now, faith in God is not, well, he's up there somewhere and I have I believe in some ethereal myths. Ethereal, it's up there somewhere. And it's, it's, I have a faith and a feeling. No, he's a real God. And my connection with him is for the most part through his word. See, I don't always, I'm not walking around wanting God to whisper in my ear. I don't need him to. The only time I need God to whisper in my ear is when I refuse to go this direction. I'm bullheaded about this and I won't listen to what he says in his word. Then he will say, no, this is the way, walk in it. But if I'm doing what he says and if I'll, if I'll be sensible enough to take the word. I'll tell you what, you know, and as a pilot, mo- or a good majority uh, or a, I shouldn't say that, or a number of fatal aircraft ex- accidents, aviation accidents in general aviation happen because of pre-flight failure. What that means is the pilot doesn't sit down and go through his proper checklist. He wants to wing it because I've done this a hundred times. Doesn't matter. There is a checklist. I've been in this thing 42 years, but I still have a checklist. I read it and check my attitude because my attitude, if I let it go in a moment, it's going to be right over there doubting, fearing, believing the worst, thinking the worst and saying, okay, it's all over. We're not going to make it. And so I have to pull myself back over and say, okay, what's the checklist? All right. And I go through that and I, I, I depend on that and I'll say, okay, in spite of what I feel, in spite of what I see, in spite of what it looks like, here's the checklist. And the manufacturer of the plane understands the laws of aviation and also how that plane works within them. And you follow that checklist. And then it's going to, you have done your part. And all should work right. And then there's emergency procedures that you go through practically that, that if something happens, here's what you do. And that's true in life. Now, let me tell you this. You need to learn this principle. What you feed grows. And what you starve dies. If you feed wrong attitudes, if you feed wrong thoughts, if you play with these thoughts about He doesn't love me anymore. She's not attracted to me anymore. Or my boss thinks this. 
Those people are saying this about me. And you start feeding that, feeding that, feeding that. Guess what happens? You're exactly right. It becomes exactly the way you think. Why? Because you're feeding and nurturing something. Are you with me? Do you know everything starts in an unseen world before it comes into a seen world? There's another dimension. You know, there is other dimensions. We don't see them. But they're real. They're just as real as we are, as this life is. But they're not real to us because we can't perceive them. Just like computer science is not real to an ant. It may crawl on your computer, but it has no idea how to operate office. It doesn't know how to do an email. There is no clue. There is not there. And see, lots of times we are the same way. We don't see this unseen world, but there's an unseen world around us. And unseen forces are always trying to either bring good or bad about. And who we partner with by what we feed or what we starve is going to determine what is, becomes reality in our lives. Are you with me? So what you feed, feed the right things. Feed faith. Feed it. Feed it. You say, I don't have much faith. Well, feed what you got. And let me tell you, faith is faithful. If you want to feed your faith, be faithful. That helps to become, if you're faithful, your faith grows. If you're unfaithful, your faith diminishes. Okay? Because faith is not talk, it's a walk. All right, to nourish and develop your faith. Now let's go to the third principle. And that is integrity. Integrity. Now, I'm not giving you all the principles. I'm just giving you seven principles here of life that if you'll do them, you'll be headed in the right direction. They'll give you a course correction that will set you on the right track. Integrity. Be honest. Be honest. Be honest. Can I be honest? <laughs> before I got saved, before I was a Christian, uh, I lied a lot. I was not honest. I wanted to create a world. I just created my own world. And the problem was, I lied when the truth would even be better. And after a while, though, lies weave a web you can't even get out of. And you can't remember what lie you told. Because it's not grounded in fact. It's grounded in fabrication. And if you don't remember the ingredients you, web to get, you wove together to create that falsehood, all of a sudden you become obvious. And I, here's the worst thing, though. I lost complete trust in me. I did not believe in me. I could not believe, this is all BC. What I mean by that is before Christ in my life, okay, before Christ, uh, I could not believe in me. And Denise, of course, and my friends could not believe in me. I had close friends that, you know, they loved me, but they wouldn't believe one thing I said because I did believe in me. And when you don't believe in you, you live with everything in life is insecure. You carry around an insecurity. You, matter of fact, you attract insecurity because you don't believe in you. And at the root of not believing in you is when you've deceived. When you create, start creating webs of deception to get what you want or to get out of what you want to get out of, however it may be, but to get what you want in life and you think that, and you see that's born out of a low self-esteem where you don't think you're good enough or you deserve it or you don't have the skills or whatever, so you start lying to create a facade. But the trouble is the, great, the greatest uh, 
disaster or the greatest tragedy of that is how it erodes and destroys all belief you have in yourself. To where that when I got saved, there was not one person on planet earth that believed in Steve Vickers. The only one that did was God. And his belief was in what he could make me. And when I got saved, immediately, it was like all of a sudden I could start over. And I determined, I want to be honest, have I slipped and said something? Yes, I have. But I'm going to tell you what, I immediately repent and have, you know, and over the years worked to change my life. And I have found, there's been times, you know, that the devil will say, better, you better not tell the truth about this. And I said, well, I'm going to. And you think, oh, it's going to be bad. And come to find out, man, it really worked better. The main thing is I get to lay my head down on my pillow at night and sleep. I don't have to look over my shoulder. I don't have to be afraid when I see two people talking to say, uh-oh, he's telling her the truth or she's telling him the truth. I don't have to worry about a phone call that my wife answers. Are you with me? Listen, there, there are many ways that you can choose to get where you want and what you want without integrity. But the trouble is, they, every one of them, end in destruction. I told Stephen this years ago when I was taking, he was moving to Los Angeles. He was 18 years old. And we drove out there. 2,200, 2,100 and something, right at 2,200 miles all the way. I preached him the whole way. Well, let me say, I, we had a conversation the whole way. And there was one theme that just kept going on and on in our conversation, you know. And I told him, I said, Stephen, I said, I have spent your life imparting into you. And now I must release you to live your life. And I told him this, I said, son, please hear me. I said, do not sell yourself who you are and what you know to get what you want. Because if you do, you'll despise the person that has it. You'll stand there with the accolade and look in the mirror and you will despise the person holding the trophy. I would rather be fifth place and like who I am and what I did to get there than to be first place and have sold my soul because it's gone. But here's what I found. You can make it first. David said this, God delivered me because of my integrity. You know what? If you'll just live a life of honesty, of truthfulness, of integrity... What does it mean to integrity? Um, that you are outwardly who you, or you are inwardly and you are who you portray to be outwardly. And that you are privately who you pretend to be publicly. That you are the same. You are what they said about ink years ago, that it's sincere without impurity. And only the wealthiest people use could say sincere because it meant without impurity. In other words, the ink I've written this letter to you with is the most expensive ink man can buy. It's without impurity. Let your life be for Jesus before this world. Let him, to be, able, let him be able to sign on you sincere. That you are real. You are true. People love that. Fourth, gratitude. Gratitude. Well, I'm going to tell you what. Don't you like people that are happy? You know, we talked to you when we talked about the wrong people in your life. You know, one of them was downers. People that are victims. We talked about that, you know. People that, you know, they're the victim in life and, and all of life is about them. But we talk about downers, you know. 
that you get around, stay away from downers. You may minister to them, reach out to them, but don't pull them into your life because downers will bring you down. And a downer is someone that has refused they, for whatever the circumstances, and I'm teaching on that, but they've determined not to be grateful. Learn to be a grateful person. Develop an attitude of gratitude. You ought to put on your mirror. You might want to put up there, today I will have an attitude of gratitude. Begin where you are and with what you have and be faithful. Grateful people are not complainers, nor are they gossips. Grateful people lift themselves and they lift all of those around them. I would encourage you, surround yourself with grateful people. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I appreciate that. Hey, hi. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for what you did. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. Do more than, have a good day. Say thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ed and Bunny. Sincerely for all of your years of service. Thank you. Thank you, young ladies, for making the decision to submit yourselves and make a change in your life. Thank you for being a part of Will Springs. Thank you, people, for those of you that are here this morning. Thank you for braving the elements, trudging through the horrendous elements like so many refused to this morning. Oh, it's raining. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me teach you. Thank you, Morris and Andre and Renee and Joe for leading us in worship. Thank you for what you do, Keith, and you're serving me. And thank you guys up there in the production uh, uh, team up there. Thank you, Chris and Connie, for cutting my grass and pulling my weeds. Thank you. Thank you. Thank all of you. I thank you. Thank you, Victor, for fixing my computer all the time because I hadn't got a clue. And I know he's probably thinking, oh, God, just help him a little bit so he doesn't mess it up all the time. <laughs> all right, the next one. I got to wrap this up. The fifth one, service. Service. I had originally obedience in there, but you know, I like the term service better because a server is an obedient person and an obedient person serves. I like service. You know, I like that they call military the service. And I served, I'm proud that I served my country during the Vietnam War. I served in the military. I, prou- I am proud to do that, that I had that in my past. You know, and it is a service. When a lot of my friends fled to Canada, to smoke dope, write music, and play guitars, and run around nude. You know? Why didn't I go with them? No. <clears throat> Hush. Service. You know, that example, they fled to Canada. This is a tough pill to swallow for Americans. We like all the other things when you come to think of oh, serving. Oh, goodness. Who do you? I am an American. That's an American. Bless God, I'm to be in charge. I'm to rule. I am the man. Is that okay, Denise? <laughs> I'm the man until she tells me what I got to do. She's not here today. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one in charge. And she said, well, take this trash to the front. Yes, ma'am. But really, this is a tough one for Americans because we are such strong individualists. I fly my own flag. I go my own way. Is, is, what's everybody else doing? Let me check on Instagram. Okay. We want to pretend like we're strong individuals, and it is a part of our nature. But I'm going to tell you what. Even though to Americans the term serve has a negative connotation, I think it is something so desperately needed. Customer service is defunct in America. 
One of the things we're going to do in this church is we are going to magnify guest services to where that the people feel, man, wow, how they serve, how they care, how they make sure everything is right. Because I want to present a picture. I may not can change you, but I want to change those kids up there in junior high and those kids in kid life and all those kids back there in preschool and nursery. Hopefully you'll come along for the ride. But I think I have a chance with them. And I'm going to try to help you. But I'm going to tell you what, you may not believe it, but serving is the way to the top, not trying to prove that you're the one in charge. Jock Smith, who was a great friend, a great attorney, Jock was a good friend of mine. He's in heaven now. Uh, Jock Smith, uh, he was uh, a partner with Johnny Cochran, you know, the OJ trial, Johnny Cochran. Uh, Jock Smith used to tell me that Johnny always told him, he'd tell me this a lot. He said, Pastor, Johnny Cochran, Johnny always tells me this, service is the price we owe for the time and space we take up in life. I totally agree. Let me read it again. Service is the price we owe for the time and space we take up in life. Johnny said, Jock, we owe it to those in need. We owe serving them because we have time and space. God requires, if I'm gonna be on this earth, I gotta serve. Now here is a great theologian, Bob Dylan. Listen to what he said. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. I agree. I agree. Jesus said to become great, you must become a servant. Jesus clothed, we read there in the scripture, Jesus clothed himself in the garments of a servant. Shouldn't we also? While everyone else is clawing their way to the top, why don't you grab a towel and wash the feet of humanity? I'm telling you, all of a sudden, the world will look to you and rather than those that are climbing over each other to get to the top. Number six, giving, giving, giving. I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about a spirit. Listen, I'm married, the woman I'm married to, almost 47 years now, my first wife, the love of my life, the queen of my heart. I love her. I was gone from her a week last week, away from her, sleeping by myself in a hotel. I'll tell you what. I called her, I'd call her and I'd tell her, I miss you so. At night, I'd lay there and I'd say, I wish I was in bed with you. I'd just love to be with you. But I'm going to tell you what, you know what drew me to Denise? One of the things, I watched her. She was a giver. She gave her life to her mother. She gave her life out to her, to her, children, to her uh, siblings. She gave out to her friends. She was always giving. She, everywhere she was, she wanted to give. She'd see somebody. She'd want to help. She'd want to do something. I fell in love. Part of the reason I fell in love with her is because she was a giver. All the other girls I dated were takers. It was what they could get for themselves and about me, how pretty I am, this and this. Everything was about them. Their whole, they were like a dark sinkhole. They absorbed everything around them. You know? Seriously, and you just get, you know, sucked into them and you're like, yeah, you're great, you're wonderful, you're beautiful. And you had to always tell them that. Denise never needed that. She was so secure. You know why? Because she was giving everything away. You know, if you'll start giving your life away instead of trying to take it, all of a sudden, you'll find life. Listen, let me tell you something. Givers are never broke. You cannot go broke giving because Jesus said, give and it shall. Listen, if that doesn't work, God lied. A lifestyle of giving is far more rewarding and fulfilling than one of greed. Now, finally, our last one, don't shout. Love. Love. You know, I spoke about this when I spoke about the right purpose, and I challenged you or encouraged you to make love your greatest, grandest 
singular purpose in life. And that if you would live by love, you would fulfill every requirement of God. I'm not talking about a feeling you have. I'm talking about the love of God. And you read about it there in in 1 Corinthians uh, 13, verses 4 through 8. Or chapter 13, just read the whole chapter. And I could have simply today, and you would have probably liked it better, I could have simply just said I got one principle to teach you and just teach on love for five minutes and dismiss you. Because love does sum it all up. I taught on the others, though, because sometimes we need love broken down into bit pieces. Because love is like, it's like an elephant. It's like a whale. It's like the universe. It's really huge, isn't it? It's so real, so simple, yet so complex. How do you describe love? Well, the best way I know how is look at the cross. For God so loved that he gave If you and I will learn to live by the Bible definition of love, not man or the world's definition of love, you will fulfill every right principle there is. It's amazing to me how Hollywood really loves this. They can't live it, but they love it because they're so into self-love. But their movies so many times, boy, there's so many things that they do in movies that they, you can tell, they almost worship this concept and wish it was real. But they live in a la-la land where everything is about me. Everything is what I want. Everything is, is absorbed into me. I think that's one of the reasons when Denise and I lived there, there was an attraction about us. We don't look like Hollywood. <laughs> There's no way. We were the antecedent of that. We were the, you know, we were the thing of like, I'm better looking than him. You know, they could say, well, look at him. No matter who I am, I'm better than that, you know. We were not cool. We were not all that. But they loved us, you know. We could be sitting somewhere and they'd come to us. They'd come to our home and everything. You know why? Because they want that. They long for it. Because they're so self-absorbed. But it's not just Hollywood. It's the world. If you and I would learn God's love, not learn about it, but truly learn it. Boy, we could do wonderful things for God. To let love be the driving force, the impetus. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you live a life of agape love. The love of God in your heart. The world and the church are longing for such a person. God is looking for such a person. But there's got to be a warning label on love. It needs a warning label. Because to be real love means you have to give yourself away. You have to do that. That's the warning. But there should be under that this statement. But you will gain so much more. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit ChristianLifeChurch.com.